right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I am Mike Maroney, your one of your co-hosts for the Emerging Nine Golf Podcast. This is uh, episode 15 coming to you uh, Monday night in all of our various locations. We have Jay McLean and Tom back here with us. Boys, how we doing? Great. How we doing, boys? You guys um, in your post-Masters hangover, post-Masters glum, it's always, I always feel bad for the RBC Heritage. It's a good tournament. It should be more you know, more eyeballs on it, but I think everyone's just kind of let down after a master's. So, um, no question. I don't know. I went there uh, many times. Uh, I used to go there every year for a long time and I don't feel bad for it because it's actually such a fun atmosphere because the guys are coming off the, coming off the masters. They're very relaxed at the heritage. Um, it's a good time. I, I, I love the heritage. I love everything about it. I, I definitely have a personal, um, connection with the heritage so that comes from a little bit of my affection for it but long story short i definitely don't feel bad for it because that place is a lot of fun on heritage week yeah i'm sure i'm sure there it's obviously different than you know us watching at home or you know joe blow who's in omaha nebraska maybe not tuning in when he's tuning in the week before but he's in omaha mclean did your dad play in that event he did actually caddy for he played in it a lot you, i actually caddied for okay. him one year in it yeah Okay, um, I figured you probably caddied for him in that. That's that's cool. I, I mean, what that is a cool place, cool atmosphere. The trees. I mean, it looks like you've got a canopy, you know, hanging over the fairways. I mean, I I never played in it, but I, I've been there and looked at it. And I'm like, I don't know how anybody plays this damn golf course. Definitely like old school. I've the never... trees are literally hanging over the fairway and hanging oh, yeah. over the green. It's like I mean, it's crazy, but. I've it's never beautiful. actually played it, but I have looped it a good a good amount, and I've walked the golf course uh, a countless number of times. Um, yeah. I've never actually played the golf course, but it's funny. It's one of the few golf courses that not having actually played it, I can recall pretty much every hole. Um, if you caddied it, you know. You, I, you I looped it. it. Yeah, I looped it. So I remember, I remember every hole from that aspect of it, but even yeah. on the outside of it, of like the holes where you walk and we're all, all the holes come together just from being there as a patron for so many years. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a blast. It's really a lot of fun. And the players view it in a very relaxed atmosphere because it's kind of like a week off. It's very convenient to Augusta. So you get some of the guys that come in, you don't always get a ton of the big names, but realistically this year we had world number one DJ was there. He's a past champion. Um, that's sponsor driven. I was going to say that, that RB and RBC definitely helps it out without question, but regardless of which number one was there, right? right? Yeah. And That's at, a the fact. End of the, yep. at the end of the day, um, it's a great event put on in a great community. Uh, the Island of Hilton Head is a golfing community at its, at its absolute core. And they support that event. The restaurants around there, um, I grew up with my neighborhood best friend when we lived in Hilton Head. Um, I grew up with Thomas Riley, who his dad owns basically all the restaurants on the island um, and everything down there in the circle in the iconic Riley's restaurant, Riley's liquor store. Um, and those businesses really count on master or I'm sorry, not masters heritage week. Um, as a part of their yearly nut. I mean, it's a huge influx in business for that community. So the fact that they had some fans down there this year was fantastic. I got to see all the stuff online with all the specials and everything that's going on for heritage week. So it was kind of a, a, a light introduction and hopefully next year when 
we have the ability to get back to um, full occupancy where we can kind of see some normalcy get back to that event. I mean, kudos. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Hilton Head Island. I have a lot of personal no. uh, connections there. And, you know, it's, it's a great event. Kudos to Steve Wilmot, the executive director of the Heritage Foundation, the Heritage Golf Tournament, and everything they do down there. Also, right, John well, Farrell at Harbortown Country Club. Well, there's our heritage talk. Well, Let's move looks on. Like, looks right. like you've wrapped, yeah. wrapped that wrap that talk up here. What what's next? <laughs> Uh, so let's let's actually get into some of the golf. Mr. That was my best Jay impression. How was it? Guys? Yeah, that was long winded, pal. You, that was you did great, man. You rolled through it. I mean, awesome. I actually, I actually like you more now because of the, what you just did. <laughs> I have way more respect for you, and you know the fact that. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he's frozen. I'm pretty sure he's frozen with, his, frozen with his shitty hotel internet. So we're <laughs> we're definitely gonna cut off McLean there. We'll we'll talk now for a change. The three of us. So we did have Stuart Sink win at 40 years, 47 years young, having an impressive year. Second win in the 2021 wraparound season. Him and only him and Bryson have two wins. So uh, pretty impressive. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, these guys is obviously still hitting it well, still competing at, at a at an older age, which I don't think is as um, hard to do nowadays. But I mean, he's hitting it way further than he ever has. So, what was your take, Jay? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think we're going to see this uh, from here on out. You know, for the next you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, some of these guys are going to play really well into their forties, early fifties. I think you're going to see a guy win uh, major. Uh, you know, well into his you know fifties. I mean, what what is the the oldest the oldest player ever it win, ever win a major is is it was Jack. Ah, gosh. I, no, it was no, Jack. It's, Guy Boros. Somebody, like Julius yeah. Burroughs. Julius Burroughs. Went, Julius to win a major Burrows. or a regular tour event? No, he's right. Julius Burroughs won the PGA when he was like 55. 50 something. Yeah, that's right. That's a good call, Jay. What is it? But, but I mean, needless to say, I mean, it hasn't happened very often, but I think no. we're going to, guys are in better shape, equipment, it's better. I think we're going to see. Um, I think we're going to see more and more of this uh, as we go. I mean, Stuart Sink's in, still in great shape, hits it great. Um, and in the last ten years, he's you know changed uh, a lot with his putting, and he's <laughs> you know he's found a way to make it work. So I, it's gonna it's gonna continue to happen. And um, so, get Jay, ready. did you see? Jay, did you see how he putts from short distance? He gets the putter in motion. It starts going like this, and then it actually then goes with with goes through with the stroke. Did you notice that at all? Yeah, I did. I did. I actually we were watching it this weekend, and I was like, "Did you? Did anybody just see that?" <laughs> you know, that, that's and what I did. I, I had to rewind it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it it's different, but. Again, you know, you know whether it's putting, whether it's chipping, whether it's full swing, you've got a lot of guys that have these little idiosyncrasies and these quirks, but it's about getting your body and your brain ready to take the club away. Some people, most people can just set up and do a little waggle and maybe a real small forward press or something like that. To, that's a trigger to get the club going. And, I mean, you're talking to a guy who's fought that, um, 
my whole life, and I shouldn't say my whole life, I'd say once I started taking instruction, I, I've fought that a little bit, like getting the club to t- take the club away smoothly with my, with the full uh, full swing. So I kind of actually do a little bit of that too, before I take the club away. And it's, I don't notice it, you know, but other people are like, Hey, I've noticed that you do that little thing before you take the club away. And I'm like, like, don't, don't, don't tell me. I was like, I don't yeah, want yeah. to. That, that's but, the last thing. We but, yeah. But I mean, I know that it's there. I would, yeah. Would I prefer that it be like, look like tiger and not just kind of waggle and set the club down and just zip it like, or like Hogan or whoever, but yeah, it's just, I don't do it. You know, everyone's different, but he's found a way to make it work. I, you know, I work with, uh, Dr. Tell is a good friend of mine and we kind of went back and forth on this, trying to figure it out. And Henrik Stenson was one of the guys that we talked about and Henrik, um, I don't know if you've watched Henrik swing, but they fought this move that he does. He does this really, you know, heavy forward press and like lean back onto his trail leg, his right foot. And it's pretty pronounced if you look at his swing face on and, most people are like, wow, holy cow, did he really just do that? And it looks almost like a hitch in his in his like takeaway. But for him, he would they would fight it and fight it. And that it was such a mental block for him that finally, uh, between Henrik and I'm not sure who was he working with, like Pete Cowan or someone like that, or I, I'm not I, I'm not sure exactly who he was working with, but it was in I think that's right, Joe. Uh, and Doc, they were just like, you know what? Hey, screw it, just do it, you know. If that's what you feel you feel comfortable doing to get the club going away, let's change a little something else and make it easier. So they just said, "All right, we're going to make a little adjustment here with your grip or whatever it was." And they just said, "Go for it." Just he does this big forward press and he kind of leans back. He stops for a half a second and then he goes. Um, so it you know it worked for him. I mean, Henrik is one of the best ball strikers on the planet. So to to say that to have a move like that, you can't be a good ball striker is obviously not true. And, and, and Stuart sink has obviously proven everybody else wrong by having that little shimmy when he takes the club away. I mean, it's definitely, you know, unconventional, but it yeah, obviously gonna, worked. It's working until he gets a little, you know, sloppy on one and he actually hits the ball. <laughs> right? That's right. And just like tap. That'd be amazing. Ball. That will be the end of that little uh, routine. That little experiment. Um, no, but I think it's cool. I mean, what at this point, look, he's 47. Um, you know, I, I think that he's past trying to, you know, do things the cool way or, or, you know, the, the status quo. Um, I, I think it's awesome for golf for, well, let me, hold on. Let me, let me rephrase it. I think it's great for golf for us, golf dorks for the, for golf, you know, big picture, um, you know, the, the sports fan that, you know, watches sports center and sees Stuart sink one. They go, who the hell is this guy? Um, yeah. So, you know, that part, but again, you know, we, us golfers don't really care about that guy. Right. We think it's cool. He's a journeyman. Um, yeah. I loved hearing some of the stats this week about, you know, his first tour win, Colin Morikawa was five weeks old or something like that. You know I mean? That was, uh, yeah. it, it really puts it in perspective. And I think, you know, are we going to ever see a, a guy that's 47 plus win a major? I don't know. Maybe one day, as Jay was saying, I mean, guys are getting bigger and stronger and, and, and you know, taking better care of themselves. But, you know, Stewart's won at two courses that, um, you know, you didn't have to be a bomber, let's say, um, especially this week. So, anyway, I, I thought it was very cool. I thought the whole story with him and his son on the bag was neat. Um, 
you know, I was, I was a fan of, of uh, what happened. Um, on that note, Tom, because this really surprised me. I started digging into some of his stats this weekend, watching him do what he's doing. Hey, he's, that guy's he back. 47 years old. And, and you bring ding. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back. It's nice to make an appearance. You guys didn't give me a proper introduction, but regardless, I'm here and we're just going to go through with a bit. So long story short, um, with that being said, Oh, by the way, excuse I me. I, meant to, I, I mentioned, I was going to mention this before we started recording. I said that in an email the other day and I just started dying laughing. I, I almost, I almost deleted it, but then I, I put it back. I was like, I gotta, I'm just going to keep it in there in honor of my client. Love that. Love that. Much appreciated. Uh, Sorry, but ahead. long story short, getting back to my point. So digging into some of his stats and the one that, you know, you just brought up Tom in terms of not being a bomber and um, uh, being 47 years old. Stuart sink is currently 26th on the PGA tour in driving distance at average of three Oh six. He is smoking the golf ball, right? That's impressive, man. Now his swing looks fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No question. I mean, he's obviously all American at Georgia tech and has been on tour for 20 plus years. I mean, the guys, he's a stud. And I mean, not only that, but he's a, he's a Payne Stewart player of the year recipient. Like, I mean, he's a, he's one in he's four a good decades. Dude. He's one in four different yeah. decades now. How crazy is that? That's, that's incredible. I mean, that's I know he's only won one major, um, but that's which that's nobody wanted him to win. Yeah, no, everyone wanted Tom Watson to to pull it off. You know, no question. But you know, that's a great point. You know, Mikey. That's I mean, that's Hall of Fame type stuff. I, in my opinion, if you want to, if you want to judge a man based on, you know, you can judge him on on how how much he dominated in a short period of time. Um, then you can you can also judge a, a player on uh, their longevity and and their career. I mean, if you can win four decades on the PGA Tour, that's I mean, insane. That, that's insane. That's insane. I, I didn't I didn't realize well, keep, he won a career 90s, on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, well, just just having a career that lasts that long. I mean, he turned in nineteen ninety five. And Colin Morikawa was born in like 1999 or something. Um, I don't remember the exact stat, but yeah, he turned pro in 1995. Current world ranked 44, just because I'm looking. Uh, that's what was that's it? Incredible. Like Maverick McNeely finished T4. Maverick McNeely wasn't born when he started playing on tour. That's awesome. What year was it, guys, that he, um, he had a chance at Southern Hills? Y'all remember this? There was a playoff. Like there was a couple guys that that just seemed like they didn't want to get it in the hole in the last hole. It was, it was Retief, Sink, Mark Brooks, PGA. Um, y'all remember what I'm talking about? Was Stewart Sink yeah, part of that? Yeah. Wasn't yeah, he, wasn't that when Retief won the U.S. Open there? Yeah, missing that oh, two footer on regulation. Two thousand two. But he Stewart won, Stewart he, missed a short one in regulation. U.S. Open and the PGA the same year. So okay. So yeah, but that was the PGA at Southern Hills, right? No, it was an open. It was an open. Yeah. At Hills? Uh, no, yeah, it was the U.S. Open. You're yeah, because right. Retief won the U.S. Open twice. Okay. Um, I just remember. Yeah, I mean, I mean sort of sink had a chance there. Remember, he had I'm a sorry. short one I'm, when the, in the playoff. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, you're right, Tom. He's, uh, he's he's been there. He's had a great career, and and like you said, it's 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 funny. Like um, if you said, all right, name guys that have won, you know, in four different decades, you know, throughout the span of golf, he would not be you know someone that comes to mind right away. And that's no, no knock on him, but you know, we're all gonna immediately go to the Sam Sneeds and the and the yeah. uh, you know whoever it might be, right? But um. You know, it just says a lot about him. He, he's they've been through a lot family wise, and uh, you know, look, very happy for him. Yeah. What are you laughing at, Jay? We're just ah, laughing that Mc, McLean's frozen again. Hey, wh- where where is he? Like, do they have internet there? I mean, it's West Palm <laughs> Beach. I thought it was a high fluent place. Matt, like, maybe just do your uh, cell phone, do like a hot spot or something, because it can't get any worse. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> You need to use your honors points and you get the premium internet. That's right. I'm, a, I'm a Marriott, not Hilton. Oh, well, I do have the premium internet. No, I, I got the premium internet. Yeah, it sounds Marriott so premium too. right now. I'll tell you what. I'd ask for a refund. <laughs> AOL. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, I don't know where the fuck we're going from here. Uh, I'm just laughing at my plane. <laughs> oh, but now he's gone completely. <laughs> he's gone. He's gone. He uh, has exited the chat. Corey Connors. Is, so here, here's another thing. Well, right, wait, hold on. Before we, is Ryder, is he going to be some, let's talk about some, um, some teams he might be on, right? Ryder cup, president's cup. Like, is he not in the mix? No, sorry. Great year. Nope. He wins twice. Who, Corey Connors. Corey Connors. Corey Connors is going to be on president's cup team. He better be. Yeah. But what about Stuart yeah. Sink? You don't think he's a, like a, a, a candidate. What is all right? See where he is. I mean, on the, unless he unless he wins a few more few more tournaments, it's a tough spot though, right? So he's guys won twice, but you know, you as a captain are sitting there like, I know you've won twice, you've done well, but like, I don't necessarily want you on my team. <laughs> um, testing, uh, testing one hey. two three. Hey, McLean, how are you? Testing, Welcome. testing one two three. This is Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. Welcome back. We are now on an iPhone hotspot. And there we go. It sounds way better than you're happy to be here. It's nice to join you guys. I'm McLean. Uh, who am I here with? <laughs> Not important. All right. So Stuart Sink is 24th on the Ryder Cup rankings right now. Really? Yeah. He's up 13 spots at the win, but 24th. So he's still a ways back. I mean, it doesn't Basically, mean he, there's going to be one twice and then hasn't played at all. There's going to be six <laughs> captain's picks. Man. So he should definitely be really in the what, what, so the total 12 still 12 players or yeah, but because of the whole COVID and all this kind of stuff, they they max it to only six get automatic entry and six captains picks. Jeez. So right now your Ryder Cup rankings are DJ, douchebag, Justin Thomas is third. Is sorry, can you read? can you confirm who douchebag is? Please? Uh Bryson, sorry, Bryson DeChambeau is second. Thank uh, you. Thomas uh, is third. Uh, Colin Moore Cowers fourth. Xander Shoffley is fifth. Brooks Kepka is sixth. <laughs> I think I think Brooks is if, if Brooks gets bumped from this top six, he's out. He's out. Then you got so right behind them, you got Reed, Finau, yeah. Simpson, Berger, Spieth, Horschel round out the top twelve. Okay, so the average age of there is what, like twenty seven? You know, I'm just, I mean, not really. Uh, but I mean, D- DJ is the oldest one in that crew, in the top six. And then you got 
DJ and Webb are the only two that are over 30, I think. Wow. Uh, Horschel. Yeah, Horschel's. Horschel's over 30. Yeah. Love that guy in match play. I mean, I would say, I I think he'd be a hell of a Ryder Cup or or, or President's Cup for that matter. Even if he's not. Well, speaking of Horschel, what's the story behind him this weekend? What about him? Didn't he? Didn't he have some some comments on something? Oh, oh well, yeah. he had the comments on the. Uh, we weren't there on our agenda yet. Arm we'll lock. get there. Yeah, we're not. We're not there yet, Jay. But that was a great. I love how segue. That's that's that really nice. I'm always really nice. ready Hold to on. segue. I got, I got a stack guy checking in real quick. iPhone hotspot coming in hot. Stuart Sink is number one on tour in greens and regulation. Over the last 15 events, he has three top tens and two wins for a total of $3.2 million in earnings. If you can find me a group of players that he shouldn't be a part of, I'm here to listen. But if if he's in talks currently for uh, any sort of team competition, President's Cup, be it, uh, or, I mean, even when we get down to it next year, Ryder Cup. No, Ryder Cup's this year, pal. I'm sorry. Flip-flop it. I know we're making up for a COVID year. I don't know. Long story short, I'm just talking about team competition, period. The guy has nine former appearances on team competition events, including his Ryder Cup and President's Cup appearances. He has a ton of experience to bring to the game. He's been around at a lot of these big events for a very long time. I think he also meshes well with some of the younger tour guys out there. And currently, he's playing like a like a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup. I mean, that that's who he's playing like. He's playing like a top American. And I'd love to see him as a captain's pick with the amount of experience he has. All right, so let's play a little game. Let's play a little game here then. He's right. old enough to be a captain. He yes, could easily he be a co-captain. I mean, honestly, he's at but that. how many like captains guys, have won two guys, times in the past year? Yeah. I mean, All right, so let's, very often. let's right. play a little game here. I'm going to give you a comparison, and you take – you, you take your pick. And these are guys that are going to be ahead of Stuart Sink on the U.S. Ryder Cup rankings. So who's your pick, Sink or Gary Woodland? Sink. Sink. If it were right now, I would take Sink. But okay. if it were in the fall when they normally have it, I would probably take Gary Woodland. Sink or oh, Ryan Palmer? On what, that depends on what they do between now and then, though, right, Jay? Yeah, no, just, no let's just say the Ryder Cup's next week. You have to pick yeah. right now, tonight. Yeah, okay. There we go. I, mean, I like that. I like. All that. right, Sink or Ryan Palmer. Sink. God, I McCl- love Ryan. McLean loves himself. Draw? Ryan Palmer. I love Ryan Palmer. The See, here's the thing. I, I do too. I love. I, I'm a huge Ryan Palmer fan. But I, if it's next week, riding this momentum, like I gotta players, take Sink. I gotta take Sink. Unless Ryan, they're yeah, Ryan Ryan Palmer would be a guy that I would like to play with. Gritty, tough, yes, totally. That's, that's know, a tough. Gives one. two shits about anybody. Like if I got if I were playing with him in match play, we would f some dudes up. You know, all right, nice play. You'd sink f, or, you'd f them up, Jay. Just f, f them, them up. all up. Yeah, sink or I mean, Kevin Kisner. Ooh, that's tough. Sink. Kevin Kevin Kilsner's a tough. He's a Sink. tough dude. Kiz is not on it right now. He just switched to the arm lock last week. We'll get yeah. to it in a minute. We'll get to it in a minute. But he <sighs> Don't the love arm that. Last week, and I realized I picked him, which is a total mistake. Um, he's obviously lost with his putting, and his putting used to be the best part of his game. So without question, I'm taking Sink right now. Yeah. Sink or Zalatoris? Zalatoris. Sink. Sink or Kokrak? The, the bullfrog. bullfrog. The bullfrog. I mean. Sink. 
Okay. How about Sink or Max Homa? Sink. Sink. Well, hold on. We got to think about where they're playing, too. Playing whistling. I mean, are we getting all that? Uh, Sink's 26 in driving distance, and whistling straights is pretty pretty deep. How's Mm -hmm. Max Homa doing on driving distance this year? He hits it plenty far. So we're all right. So yeah, but, all right, sink. But, but so you guys are taking sink in a lot of these. So sink or Scotty Scheffler. I'm starting to go up the rankings now a little bit more. I'd take Scheffler. I'll take Scheffler. Really? Yeah. Scheffler's I mean, had a great win, year. Like, and close. the guy can so go low, close. low. I feel like he's got one of those match play attitudes. Yeah. Sink or Patrick Cantley. Patrick, Patrick Cantley. Cantley. Sink or Billy Horschel. You know what? Ooh, Horschel. Billy oh, Horschel. Horschel oh, has a match play. A match play mentality but hold on like mike on that note like the guys names you're, you're reading off um the the what's consistent there is th- these guys are young Stuart sink is an outlier and, and it used to be you know Ryder cups of the past there was a couple older guys veterans yada yada but like right now it's it's a bunch of you know kids essentially and Stuart sink um and i you know dustin's not a kid you know what i'm saying but like so no, there's a lot of them can he um this is Scotty Scheffler, right? So Scotty Scheffler hadn't really, you know, his resume, you know, in the last, let's say, six to eight months, does it match up to Stuart Sink's? I, you know, I, I don't know. Stuart Sink has two wins. Scotty Scheffler does not. But yet, Scotty Scheffler, you put him in that room with his guys, his age, his friends, his buddies, like, does that elevate? Opposed to Stuart Sink, does he get... Um, so, so here's an argument for Sink. kind of the a, outsider. Do, do, there's no Phil. There's no Tiger crazy there's no furic there's you know some of these stalwarts on the american side i mean dj's now the stalwart is he gonna be a leader from a a a veteran voice now granted you're gonna have some probably some good co-captains to go with stricker as the captain but um you know so does could sink bring that sink's not on my team but could sink bring that veteran yes yes presence Absolute, absolute yes. Like I said, he has nine former team appearances, which let's be clear, guys. He has nine former team appearances and one major. That's 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 borderline Hall of Fame career. It is a Hall of Fame career. You get you get a I mean you you've got a co I, I think it is. I think it is. Uh, other people are talking about it being borderline Hall of Fame. I personally think it is, but I also don't get a vote. I think, uh, Mike, you, you made that comment. I think the winning in four different decades, that is, I think that's the epitome of a Hall of Fame career, not Hall of Fame year, Hall of Fame five years. You've won in four different decades, you know, 30 plus years roughly is, is how long he's been playing. That's incredible. I mean, that that guy should be in. He should be in the Hall of Fame, and he, he probably will be. Again, not just how he's played on but the golf course. I don't think he will. That doesn't get him in. It should. And if it's not if enough wins, wins, it's not enough majors. Yeah, but that that's my point about being like in the Hall of Fame. That is bullshit. Like you've got a guy who's played that long. Yeah, but so played that that well. There's plenty of people that are in the Hall of Fame that don't deserve to be in there. Uh, not to the standard that he's upheld. Um, you know, so my not, take like is- I said, not just not just on the golf course, like I said, winning the Payne Stewart Award, which I think is an incredible award. Like the it's like the man of the year. It's like the Walter Payton man of the year in the NFL. It's like you are the epitome of sportsmanship. You're the best player and but you know, best guy on tour. 
and your philanthropy, what you do off the golf course, like these are the things that should be rewarded and you should be in the Hall of Fame for stuff like that. And on top of that, you've got one major win. You've played in nine, you know, Ryder Cup, President's Cup matches and you've won in four different decades. Like, I don't know. You you just got to add it all up, you know. I hate yeah, I, mean, I have a different take on I have a different take on Hall of Fames and this is just golf Hall of Fame this goes for you know whether it's the NBA or the baseball or Canton I, I think I think Hall of Fames are have too many people in yeah and no I, I I agree I, I think I think Hall of Fames need to be reserved for the dominant generational you don't have to put everyone someone in a Hall of Fame every year never mind five or six in some of these sports and this is going off topic but to me, it's almost like, okay, well, we have to put five guys in this year. So these, well, if they're not worthy, don't put them in. You don't have to put, right? I so I think there's too many ordinary guys in some of these sports hall of fames. If if you're not dominant in your sport over a given period of time, I don't think you should be in. So I, if, I, if I, I take that philosophy into golf hall of fame, Stuart Sink, yeah, great player, great career, longevity, awesome. But he wasn't really dominant ever. But if you, what's dominant, you know, you, you use that word dominant. Do you have to be dominant over the course of a year? Do you have to be dominant over the course of five years? Or are you dominant over the course of a career? Like, no one is dominant where they're, does that make sense? Like, yeah, but no one's ever, no one's ever gone to a tournament on a given week and said, God, look out for Stuart Sink. No, and that, but that's that's your opinion of what the word dominant means, and I, I you yeah, know, that's look fine. at yeah. it. I look at it. You know, Hall of Fame is not just me. Doesn't mean like how dominant you are. It should be. It should be rewarding. Of I mean, someone who's had a, a an, an entire career again, four decades is an incredible an incredible feat to play four decades, but also to win in four different decades, but. To, to your point, I agree. I do think there are too many people in all of these Hall of Fames, and I think it's a little bit of it as a marketing ploy just to have somebody in there. But I agree. If they had a third of these people, it would be more rewarding when you did make it um, in all sports, whether it's you know NFL, you know NBA, or the uh, MLB, or, or, or golf, or whatever it is. It, it should be more selective, and and you don't oh, have yes. to just put someone in every every year. But with that being said. Hey, hey, hey. He just chimed right in. Given the standard that we've already approved these players, I think Stuart Sink deserves to be in there based on what we've done prior. Now, if we all of a sudden flip a switch and say, you know what? Hey, you weren't dominant and no one's dominant, then we're going to, you know, we're going to cut the cord here. Then, yeah, I I could understand that 100%. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Well, golf, we golf, you know, messed up early. I don't, I mean, years ago with their Hall of Fame, right? Remember? It wasn't all that long ago. They were letting everybody in and and these big groups. And so that kind of it. They were letting like golf executives, golf executives in like, and it was like muddied it. And it got kind of it was it's too bad because it's still, you know, at the end of the day, it's still an amazing honor. But, you know, I I, I think we're all in agreement that it's different. Like when you get into the pro pro football Hall of Fame has a different kind of feel to it than the you know golf hall of fame you're right 100 percent. because again i think with golf the weird thing is like you you, these guys never retire completely like they either they play still play a couple events they maybe move to the champions tour whereas like the nfl it's like hey this was my career for 10 12 15 years and i'm done 
you know, I'm out. Like, yeah, I'm, you got to be I'm retired re- for five I'm, years before you're even eligible. Yeah, I'm retired. I'm, 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 that's it. So that part of it's a little different. Um, but within, you know, with the PGA Tour, or not just PGA Tour, but golf in general, I mean, what VJ Singh got elected to the Hall of Fame when he was like, we just won 10 events in a year. Exactly. And like, wait a second, this guy's still, this guy's yeah. still playing and dominating, like literally dominating. And we're putting him in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, he will be in the hall of fame, but do we have to put him in now? Like, while we talk about like, can we talk about him for, uh, uh, we don't, we can come back to it in a minute, but like I do Stuart, I'm sorry. Uh, VJ Singh, like that is, we could talk for an hour on just him because you know, he's a polarizing guy. We all know that yada, yada, but you look at his career. Like if, if he was in, he got caught in the tiger air, you know, Phil did a little bit There's you know, Ernie, there's certain guys that definitely got caught, you know, in that in that moment, but VJ top what top what of all time? I mean, in I terms of money, top, top twenty, no player like his career. 15. Top what career? Top twenty, fifteen, top twenty, top twenty. Really? How many wins? Like, all right, we haven't looked this up. And now, look, you're right, but I'm just saying, didn't he win eleven times in one year when Tiger was out there? Yeah, yeah, this was in the mid to early 2000s. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Same. Yeah, that it's, you know, it's, he had Tiger only had a couple of what you could even call rivalries, and it was Phil Duvall and VJ. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think I, I think that's fair. Um, I but mean, they the were they were openly earlier was when you talk about Hall of Fame careers and whose would you rather have would have been Duvall versus Sink. Sinks played in 610 PGA Tour events and won $41 million in career earnings on tour, 3.2 of which have come in the last 15 events. Hold on. So VJ it, had 34 wins, three majors. Is Krishna Singh his brother? Got to be. Looks just like him. I don't think so. Who? What are you Googling over there? I just was looking for VJ on PGAtour.com and uh, uh, just typed in Singh and some guys popped up, but like Krishna Singh, you need to let, he looks, I mean, it's gotta be, he's from Fiji. Anyway, side note. <laughs> side note. Um, that's yeah. I don't know. Right, VJ, y'all just said it, but I was, anyway, I just think guys, you know, VJ, um, he, he, he was, when he was good, it was hard to beat him. Uh, yeah. He was, he is one of, He's an incredible ball striker. Yeah, he was good. I, I mean, I think there's just a lot of really good players that talk about the history of golf. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't put it in the ocean if he was on the back of a boat. I mean, I still am going back, and I, I probably say this once a week or once every other week, but it seems like these guys, these guys that are uh, super famous or in terms of the golf world um, or, or even dominant, you can use that word, rarely do you see the guy who is, uh, you know, very dominant or wins a lot. That is the Supreme putter. All these guys are just incredible ball strikers, strokes, gain, tee to green. Again, to keep harping on it. That's where you have the opportunity. And again, Mike, you talked about this with about your amateurs at your club and you're right. Um, you know, they can, they can gain a lot from, being better around the greens, but at that higher end amateur level uh, and that professional level uh, as a fan watching TV, 
you know, pay attention to these guys who are great ball strikers, like Will Zalatoris. I was just talking to somebody about this um, the other day. I had never watched him really swing a golf club. You know, I'd seen his name a bunch and I pulled up uh, a video of a YouTube video of his swing. And I was like, Oh, no surprise. You know, I watched, you know, the mechanics of the way the guy swings a golf club. And you just see all these similarities between these great ball strikers and what he's doing. And you're like, that's why this guy is playing well. I mean, the, the, these guys that are great ball strikers, they end up being great players. They end up making a lot of money. They end up competing in majors. They end up competing uh, for FedEx Cup points every year, every week, because they do a, a handful of things from strokes gain T to green. Like they swing the club well. Um and 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 they're probably okay putters. He in his case, that's that's his worst, that's his worst uh, attribute is his putting. And but but look at all these household names that you know of that that are average putters or below average putters. I mean, we've gone over it every week. But again, this game comes down to if you want to make a shit ton of money or you want to compete and win, um, you have to be you have to be a decent putter, but you have to be a great ball striker. There's very few guys on tour that are average to below average ball strikers, but great putters with great short games. There's just, it doesn't happen very often. You take a guy, yeah, but I think Brad, you, you said Brad that Jackson, those guys that they're, they're an anomaly. That just doesn't happen that often. So you said that to compete and win, I would say to compete, but I think when those guys get hot with the putters, when they win, no question. Yeah. I mean, but even not even, you know, I mean, if you're really good hot for them, yeah, a hot for them, which is not, I mean, again, not hot for the, again, strokes gain on the green. You can, I mean, you see Dustin win every week and he, he's not gaining any strokes on the field with his putting. Uh, you've seen Sergio do that. Will Zalatoris is not a great putter. Um, and, and I'm not trying to pigeonhole this into saying like, you don't have to be a good putter to win on the PGA tour. I'm just saying majority of the time, the guys who win are the guys. No, it's ball striking. It's guys who drive the ball. Well, they drive it in play, they drive it long and they've got control over their ball. And again, I looked at his swing. I hadn't seen it before, but I just pulled it up on YouTube and you see all the, all of the things that you would expect to see from a guy who is, who was on the corn Ferry tour who's 23. And now he finishes in the top 10 every other week. You're like, how does he do it? He's a great damn ball striker. That's how he does it. Not, he's not, he's not beating everybody with his putter. He drives the ball in play. He hits his irons. Great. And he's an average putter. And here he is finishing second in the masters. You know so what you're saying, Jay. And, and, and I agree with you is that. It's, I wish it wasn't that way because yeah, I wish I wish it was yeah. more short game and putting because that's what I grew up. Everyone telling me that's what you needed to do. Mm-hmm. So that's what I practiced, and I, and I'm sure that it, it it definitely helped me. You know, play college golf and play 15 years of professional golf. But the thing that I didn't I didn't know until later, until I was almost you know out of the mix. I was like, if I just kept doing what I knew how to do in terms of hitting the ball and ball striking, just keep doing that. Like you don't need to keep changing that. You don't need to keep switching it, searching for this Holy grail. If I just kept doing what I knew how to do and what I knew how to do was, was, was pretty damn good. If I just kept doing that and and doing what I did putting, I, I would have probably been in good shape. But I mean, again, you don't know that until you try it and you've, you know, you're always trying to fix stuff, but yeah, 
I, I, I just see it over and over and over. And I'm, and I, I'm, I'm trying to discount it and say that it's not true, but it just, it always proves itself true every time. Well, look, can't you say that, I mean, simplify it, a mediocre putter is going to make more eight footers than a really good putter is going to make 25 footers over a hundred putts. Right? Yes. Yes. Right, so there 100%. you go. It's simple as that, right? You mean, that, the, stats, the stats are there to prove it. You're right, yeah. Tom. And let's be honest, when we say mediocre putter, we're talking on the PGA Tour. We're not talking Again. like at the club on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Mr. Smith, who has to have eight beers before he can, you know, draw it back. We're not yeah. talking about him. You're you're right. And that and that's what Mike's, you know, Mike's comment. We talked about this, you know, a couple episodes ago too. And he's right. Like for for your amateur golfer at the club who is a maybe a 20 handicap, he's going to gain a lot of shots by being a better putter and a better chipper. He's going to get to that single digit, right? But to, to take a guy who's like a two, three, four and try to make him a scratch or even a plus, he's not going to do it by being a focusing all of his time on his short game. He's going to do it by gaining strokes tee to green. He needs to drive it a little further. He needs to drive it in play. He needs to be a better, uh, you know, scoring club player from 150 and in. He needs to be dynamite, hit a lot of greens because he can be the same putter that he is as a three handicap and just improve his ball striking tee to green. And he turns into a plus handicap like that. Um, I mean, it's not, again, it's not like, it's not easy to do. I mean, the the idea of it is sounds simple, but it's freaking hard, you know? I mean, it's hard to do. I mean, there's no question. So Will Zalatoris is kind of I don't know if he's his full swing coach, Josh Gregory, or is he just a short game guy? Mike, you would you would know, but he was my assistant golf coach at NC State when I was here. Pretty crazy. Really? Uh, yeah. Josh has Josh has come a long way from those days when he was crashing our late night, you know, frat parties. <laughs> he's teaching a lot of studs. I know it really is, man. Yes. Here's here's a name to look out for you. Someone who he's teaching. There's a high school kid named Tommy Morrison. He's going to in a couple of years. He's already committed to Texas. He's six nine. Tommy Morrison. The kid right. is huge. He is massive. Um, 6'9". 6'9". Look out for that kid in the future. Guys, I've been waiting. We've, we we talked like, when is it going to happen? When is when is a LeBron James going to figure out that he could play golf? And, you know, I mean, we, we most of these... It happened athletes, in 96. The guy's huh? name was Tiger. No, no, I'm talking somebody that's like... No, you're... You, eight. You're right. I mean, you're right. Thinking, yeah. But, Tom, you, your, your dad... He is. Last time I get he was on it. Show. In the ghost episode, you know, Curtis talked about um, you know, he said the next guy is going to be, he's going to be six, seven, six, eight. And he could, it. he, he has all the athleticism to play in the NFL or the NBA, and he's going to choose to play golf. And this guy's going to hit it 400 yards and he's going to have touch like, you know, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. And if he's on, you can't beat him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you can't beat this no, guy, I, that's you know? It's kind of like Tiger was, you know, 20 years ago. He he was hitting it 30, 40 yards past everybody, and he was a better putter, and he had better feel. He had great, more yeah, imagination. Better short game, better iron like, play. He hit it longer than you, the best iron player of all time, with the most unreal short game and pressure putting that anyone has ever seen in your life. Exactly. And Mikey, that, 
without so question. Mikey just sent this picture of this kid. Are those kids next to him the same age? There's no way. <laughs> I don't know, but it was just a funny picture. The guy is massive. That, that is. was a junior event he was playing in. And <laughs> my goodness gracious. <laughs> there he is. That might be him. It's uh, the guy's unbelievable. I, actually, there's a picture going around of him uh, standing next to Ricky Fowler, and Ricky Fowler was like he's eight years old standing next to this guy. <laughs> I can't imagine what Dude. I look like. Can we can we please please get to the ruling? Can we please get to the ruling? I'm over here dying. All right, so there's been a a, a few more newsworthy items that come out of the week. Um, we're going to start with Billy Horschel's comments about arm lock putters he thinks they should be banned thoughts i don't think the belly putter should be banned i don't think the arm lock should be banned i don't think the arm locks have won who arm locks it web uh kutcher who was the other one you said mclean zalatoris yeah okay all right so we're, we're talking about some like you know prominent kind of can win any week guys but I think the arm lock no, had more lock. success than the long putter or belly putter. No, I would disagree with that. I, belly putter had more success than the arm lock did. But let me also just make a let me just make a point here very quickly on this, guys, um, because I have a very strong opinions on this subject. <laughs> if the it. arm yeah. lock or the belly putter or the long putter was a strategic advantage, every one of these guys would be doing it. If Billy Horschel truly thought that the arm lock was an advantage, why the hell doesn't he have one made up for him and he put with it? Let's be very clear about this. If why are you arguing against it? If it's an advantage and you're allowed to use it, use it. When you go yeah. back and you look at the statistics on the belly putter, the the guys that were outlawed of the belly putter were Webb Simpson, Tim Clark, or Tim Clark was anchoring long putter. I apologize. Um, but there were Keegan Bradley. There were, there was a handful of guys that were able to build a career off of this. And all of a sudden, when they start showing success, all of a sudden guys are like, Oh, that they can't win money using that. That's not okay. And I, I call bullshit because quite frankly, you had an opportunity to outlaw it when it first started and you let it go for 20 some odd years of people using it. Bernhard Longer use it uses it and still uses a modified version of that now not anchoring to to generate a career and generate a name for themselves and he took it away from what's tim clark doing right now anyone know yeah i do anyone know yeah tim's uh in arizona um doing his thing yeah insurance i was gonna ask is that insurance he's selling insurance yeah so they took these guys careers away from them, literally took these guys careers away from them by outlawing anchoring the stroke. When at the time, Tim Clark was ranked outside of the top 50 in putting. It's not like he was dominating the tour in putting. He certainly wasn't dominating it in distance, but together he was able to create a name for himself. And all of a sudden they find someone that starts winning with something and they want to blow the whistle on it. Well, here's, here's the other thing. You've let the arm lock go for this time. Now you have guys winning with it, and all of a sudden you want to blow a whistle. You didn't have a problem with it two years ago, but all of a sudden you do when people start beating you with it. Well, Tim had a wait, wait, wait. Are you, are you mad? Are you mad at the USGA? You mad at Billy Horschel? I don't like Mike Davis. I don't like the USGA. Yeah, but they're not. They're not trying to. They're not trying to ban arm lock putters. So don't be mad at them. All I'm saying is that that's where that's where Billy Horschel is going with, and I think Billy Horschel is whining, and ultimately I think that. There is no data that has proven that anchoring your stroke 
makes you a better putter. If you look at the tour data, the guys that are anchoring their stroke are all being beat by guys. When you when you show me that the top five guys are putting with arm lock or they're putting with anchoring, let's have a conversation about this. Until the top guys are putting with it and they're leading the way because of how much better their putter has gotten, this argument is a moot point. All right. All right. So, take take a breather, pal. Take a breather because we're going to go on the other topic here in a second. I will say this. Uh, first oh. off, a real real quick story. We had uh, we do an annual dinner at the Foundry every year, and we have guest speakers from the industry. And we had the last few years we've had some Champions Tour players, and I won't name who, but one of them I was asked about Bernhard Longer, and he goes, "Oh yeah, that guy. He anchors the shit out of it still." Mm-hmm. But I I do not think belly putters should be banned, or or long putters should be banned, or arm locks should be banned. However, if you're gonna have an anchoring ban arm lock should be banned because that's anchoring. So I agree you, with if, that. No, if you I want agree to go with by that, the Mike, rules. you're dead on. You're dead on. You're absolutely dead on. Uh, the, if you, you can't tell me arm locks down anchoring, I have, let me be very clear. I have no problem with arm lock. I have no problem with broomstick and I have no problem with belly putters. I did put with a belly putter back in the day. It actually made me a better putter with a short putter in the long run. Um, and I'm very comfortable with a short putter and I wouldn't go back to it, but long story short, my biggest problem is that when you look back at the data and if you're going to make an outlaw and say that something's unfair or that it's not just for the majority of golf, show me the top 10 putting statistics littered by guys with the arm lock or some sort of an anchored stroke. Yeah. We I have mean, never seen that. That yeah. has never been the case. So to yeah. argue that it's unfair, it's like, well, wait a second. If it's unfair and it's a better thing, why aren't more guys doing it? And why aren't the tops of the ranking showing so, that? Jay, so, sorry, go uh, ahead. No, no. no. To, ahead, to, your, to your point, McLean, the top 10 guys year to date on the PJ Tour stroke skate punting. Number one, Patrick Reed, conventional. Number two, Justin Sue. I honestly don't know what putting stuff <laughs> I do with this, but I'm going to say. I'm going to say it's conventional, conventional. just because Louis Oosthuizen, definitely conventional. Brendan Todd. Conventional. Wait, Louis Oosthuizen's third in putting? Louis Oosthuizen's third. And Holy strokes gained year to date. This is this game. is wraparound season. Next is JT Poston. I mean, how bad are these guys hitting that we, we don't even see their names? Again, that that's, my, that's my point. Like, these guys, other than, you know, Patrick Reed, I mean, most of these guys, you don't know who they are because, again, strokes gained putting – the the number one guy on tour strokes gain is one, one. He's gaining one stroke on the field with his putting. Find me and, any putting statistics and, where anchors are benefiting. And, and well, I mean, I mean, there there are some guys in there, but again, to go down the list, if to get to a half a stroke, you've got to go all the way down to Rian Gibson at 29th and 29th place. It's a half a stroke. But you look at strokes gained T to green, you're talking two, three, four strokes possibly that you can gain on the field. That The margins are too tight with putting because they're the greens are too good, uh, the putters are too good, and uh, the guys are too good at reading greens, and there's just not enough uh, – there's not enough of a way to separate yourself from the next guy. So, Jay, who's uh, the again, highest you, known well, so your stroke? What's your take on the on the band? No, but I, hold I on, hold on. Go back to that. Hold on, hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Mike. Who's the highest known arm lock stroke on that list that we know? I was, yeah, I was going through it. Um, yeah, it, 
Again, number six is Chris Ventura. Don't know who he is. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if he's arm lock or not. Brooks Kepka doesn't highest use him. known. Highest known. Chris Jason Kokrak eight. Shoffley nine. Zach Johnson ten. David Hearn. Mackenzie Hughes. Webb Simpson number thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Thirteen. Which is which is a very high rank. If you're if you're thirteen strokes game putting, you're a damn good putter. Let's be very clear about that, right? But at the same time. We There's struggle 12, to find there are 12 guys ahead of Webb Simpson that are not using that are not an, an using anchored arm or arm lock stroke. If, so to if, tell if me that eight of the advantage. 10 guys were arm lock, I would say, you know what? Something's going on here. You know, exactly. Maybe let's make a change. Give, give me six of the 10 guys that yeah. all of a sudden for the first time ever are now in the top 15 statistics mm-hmm. because they switched to an arm lock. Now let's make an argument for it, but don't make an argument for it when we allowed it forever because no one was winning with it. You find a guy that makes it start working and he wins with it, and now we're going to outlaw it. I call fucking bullshit. No one's outlawing it. This is Billy Marshall making a comment. You're getting blown out of proportion for nothing. <laughs> I, I don't like the anchoring ban. I don't like any. I'm I'm still upset about it. We want to talk about it more. Can we go deeper into it? You guys want to move on? <laughs> I just I'm love how you're getting either. mad at I'm the USGA either. for for. An arm lock ban. They didn't mention an arm lock ban. It was Billy Horschel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I didn't like, Tom, what's your I, thoughts? But, but to the, to your point though, I didn't like the fact that they got rid of the belly or the, or the, uh, the broom, the broom sweep. I, I, the, the, like to the same point that we're talking about now, none of those guys who used it, none of them dominated. Um, like I said, if there were 10, eight out of 10, six out of 10, seven out of 10 strokes gain putting and using one of those methods, then I could see where well, there's a trend here. We need to change this, but I think they definitely hurt. Um, they, they definitely didn't help the game, uh, by, by taking those things away. Um, and that's something that, you know, they'll argue till, till the end saying that it was the right move, but I don't think it was. And I, I, I definitely think that they ruined a, a bunch of people's backs by trying to say that you can't use the, the, uh, the long putter, uh, because let's be honest, like to, to use a long putter and not anchor it like Adam Scott, I don't know how, how the hell he's doing that because they are Bernard. Let's be honest. Yeah, because they are anchoring it, but like to, to do that, to hold a, something up here just under your chin or just under your chest and not anchor it and to sweep it like this, how can that possibly be better than holding the damn club? Just like you hold all other 13 clubs in your bag. It doesn't make any sense. It's not easier uh, for most people for 90% of them. So, you know, I, I don't know. They missed the boat on that. It, it is what it is. It's done. And if they do the arm lock, then it, they'll miss it again. But hopefully they don't do it. Um, but to your point, Mike, Billy Herschel, I don't agree with his comments. Hey, um, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Right, I don't right. think I don't. Th- and I think he maybe is just a little bitter that somebody else played well with arm lock. I mean, I, if you watch Billy Horschel putt, he's got the, the left hand low, a lot of lean. It's really similar. He really locks. That's a great, that's a great point. He really locks his left left wrist to almost like a lock position, and he puts with it. You could essentially say that's very similar to the way these guys put with that with that arm lock. Um, so I don't know. He's yeah, a good putter, a mini, though. Just a mini version of it, Tom. Just what are your mini version of it? I'm gonna I'm gonna mute McLean and Jay. What are your thoughts, Tom? <laughs> uh, I agree completely. I, I really do. I think that you know when 
when they started outlawing this stuff years ago, I think it was a little bit of a panic move and, and, and understandably so at the time, you know, we all can think back at, at that situation. It, it was, you know, it seemed like that was going to be the future, but I mean, the numbers don't lie. If it was that much of an advantage, more guys would do it. I think, I think it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, does it, does it help, you know, certain guys, prolong their career or save their career or whatever. Absolutely. And, and you can't, uh, you can't say anything bad about them wanting to do that, but, um, would you agree that's good for the sport? What's that? Having the ability to prolong careers and enhance competition by more players being able to operate at the top of the game. Agree. Agree. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, so is cork and a bat. Especially, get more players to be. <laughs> let everyone, right, that's a good point. Just let everybody do it. Yeah, just let everyone just cork the bats. Well, it's, it's like it's the stairway. Let's thing. go. These guys, you know, these baseball players take take some roids. Talk about prolonging careers. Um, so I don't know. Hey, I, I mean, I was I was for steroids. I don't want bloop singles to center field. I want fucking home runs. Yeah, but we have. I don't we think have a we can compare hold steroids. On, hold on a second. Hold on. No, a second. I'm just I'm just kidding. Hold on a second, because we have a very different game. There are not. Show me the amount of people in your 40s, 50s, and 60s that are playing baseball versus golf right so we have the opportunity to really talk about prolonging people's careers because now all of a sudden the average golfer and i would argue that golf is one of the few sports where you're able to actually play and remain somewhat competitive into your longer year later years or you could say for a longer period of time than any other sport so why wouldn't it be our goal to help prolong that that brings more business to the game it brings more people to the game for a longer period of time i mean that should be our goal that's where my some of my frustration comes from a lot of this because it's like this is bringing people away from the game it's taking away from it it's taking people away from it they age out because of it or they don't find it as enjoyable because they're not able to utilize a technique that allows them to be more successful that to me is a fault on golf as a whole, or the, the, I should say the golf ruling platforms, the leadership platforms, when it comes to the rules of golf, you give, you guys give me your take on that. Well, I, I'm, I wouldn't mind if they bifurcated the rules. It wouldn't, I'm out. It wouldn't affect me one bit. If it bifurcated, I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't care. I don't like it. Okay. Well, you don't have to like it, but, we're the only sport. Yeah, it's it's cute to say, yeah, well, we all play by the same rules, but it's not the same game. It's not the same game. College football and NFL football doesn't have the same rules. The golf courses that the average player plays on versus what the tour plays on is not the same either. The yeah, average exactly. player is not playing on a tour quality golf course or a tour length golf course. They're playing at a shorter distance. But what, so the what fact good, that we're able to utilize to the, the same, same equipment at, at, at the proper tee box I think it's one of the attractions to the game. I think when we start taking away from it, all of a sudden you're separating yourself from what a tour player is. And that's one of the coolest things you can do. You're not going to go out and find an amateur hitting with, you're not going to find most amateurs in any church league or anything like that using wooden softball bats. You're not going to find, um, you know, well, I guess church league basketball does run full court, but you know, there's other analogies you can make, you know, they're not going to find any football full contact mid thirties football leagues out there, church league football. But at the same time with golf, that's one of the things that assimilates us with the most with the tour 
level of uh of golf that we watch and we so uh we so want to be like or 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 try to emulate yeah, but one of the things one of the things you're mad about is a lot and what we talk about a lot on this podcast and in the world of golf is all these rules are made for the tour guys when you're talking about one percent of one percent have a different set of rules for those guys don't hurt the average joe that plays at my club every weekend but i think that should come down to I don't know. I, I really don't know. You, that you're mad at, re, mad at rules changes the when they're only just reacting to what's the, happening I, on tour. Look, I just feel like you have to have stricter equipment tolerances on tour, and I feel like that's all there is. And that's okay, well, then that's bifurcating, that's bifurcating the rules. But that's what there already is. No one's testing the shit at Dick's Sporting Goods. No one's testing these heads, and I can promise you right now. You can I just think your, argue, your, arguments, your, your, your argument's inconsistent. Gonna... All right. What are the inconsistencies? Well, you just said that. You you just railed for 15 minutes on these arm lock bands and all this kind of stuff. All these rules were set because of what's going on on the PGA Tour. They never factored in the amateur golf. So if they bifurcated the rules, you were talking about growing the game and keeping guys playing the game longer at the amateur level. Well, if they bifurcated the rules, that would be allowed at the amateur level. You then said they need greater tolerances on the on the PGA Tour. Well, that would be by no, I didn't the say rules. They need greater tolerances. They already have greater tolerances. They already have that. They test the heads on tour where they don't test the heads that are going out in the public. And they're the same heads in a lot of cases. Some have hot melt and some don't at the end of the day. And there's a couple other factors, but at the same at the same time, a lot of stuff that goes out is also hot. If you test a lot of the stuff that's on the shelf, you'll find a lot of heads. But with certain companies, the tolerance varies uh, dramatically. So you might find some soft edge. You might find some hot heads. It just all depends on the manufacturer. Okay. All right. We've, we've talked around in this circle. So let's move on. Let's move on edit to the next that. one that you can edit that. No, I'm not going to edit any of that. I don't, that. I don't want one of that those soft heads. I don't want one of those. No, but I, I if you I go of, and you buy something the, off the shelf, look, I'm dead serious. If head. you go and you buy something off hey, guys, a hey, listen, from some hold manufacturers, on. there is a ton of variances of what you may get. I hear the I hear the listeners. I hear the listeners turning off our podcast right here. Right now. It was exactly. about three and a half <laughs> minutes ago. Quite frankly, Tom, it was about three and a half minutes ago. You know the crazy thing is you're, you're right. It's it's um it's it's they open this can of worms you know, the governing bodies. And when they did it, they did it like a bunch of bitches. And that's what's caused all this. If they had come out and laid low down or just said, look, you know, it, it's going to be this way and, and shut your mouths uh, or this way. And sh it, they didn't. So that's, you know, you get a lot of like Billy Horschel complaining, like that, that's, that's a little chicken shit, you know, like, Hey, this doesn't even really, it's not like the guy that won was doing, you know, whatever he was doing. Um, and, you know, uh, like worry about yourself, Billy. You know, if, if, if you played a little better this week, you might not have made the comments you did. Yeah. All right. So yeah. let's get to more of McLean's um, issues here with the world of golf. Uh, Siwoo Kim had an interesting ruling this weekend. Was I think it was, was he putting or chipping from off the green, and the ball's hanging on the lip, hanging on the lip, and he takes his time, walks up to it. They're kind of standing over. I think even Kucher put his shadow over the golf ball, which was kind of interesting if you go back and look at that video. And the rule is you have to get to the golf ball 
and I don't know the exact wording. McLean, you looked this up, and I probably should know the exact wording. But you have a reasonable amount of time to get to the golf ball. Ten seconds. Then at that point, yes. Yeah, so at that point, you have ten seconds. You can't take a detour getting to the golf ball to make the time longer to get there. But then once you do get there, it's ten seconds for that golf ball to fall in. Well, he waited over a minute, and the golf ball fell in. Fifty-five seconds. Close. All enough. right. So I look. I I, I that's actually a huge, saw the rule that's a huge on paper. Breach. Well, look, I saw the rule on paper and it changed my out uh, my outlook on it at the end of the day. But I will say the rules official gave an awful explanation that if you were just listening to that and you hadn't seen the rule on paper, you'd have been arguing it to the integral. Well, so explain that makes sense what he says. So if you watch the video, it's Kucher and Siwu and the official, and Kucher's the one actually arguing with the official. It's not Siwu whose ball is actually the one that we're talking about. What was he doing? Shaking that ass? Did you see Wu shaking that ass? <laughs> Moving on. Kucher's the one that is actually working with the official. And he goes, I told him see don't hit Wu, it. that ball that is still moving. And you're not ass. allowed to hit a ball that's in motion. Correct. And the rules official goes, yes, that's correct. You can't hit a ball in motion. But it had passed the 10 second mark, which means that it's basically an additional stroke, even if it falls in. So after after the 10 second mark, even if the ball is deemed to somewhat possibly be in motion, it is then deemed to be at rest and a new stroke shall have to take place from there. So ultimately, even though that the ball fell in after that 10 second mark that he had uh, gotten to the point to where he could have reasonably addressed the ball, because ultimately that's how they view it. You're exactly right. The way you were putting it, Mike, you can't take a detour. You have to go up and, and you get up there to the point where you're about to address the ball and tap it in. And you look at it and go, wait a second. Is my ball moving? Bam. 10 seconds starts right then. Because it was the amount of time that you could reasonably address the golf ball. So then Kucher comes in and goes, all right, the ball's still moving. Don't hit it. Now, there's zero chance you're going to hit it when you're playing partner, especially a guy who's as veteran as Matt Kucher telling you, don't hit that. That ball's still moving. Well, finally, it ends up falling in after 55 seconds. Now, the rules official comes in and gives a very, very poor explanation. And I'm not going to say that he was out of line or anything. I, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to trash the guy, but at, at the end of the day, once I saw it on paper, it made more sense. And I'm not saying it's a good rule and I'm not saying it's correct, but the ball is deemed that once you got to the golf ball and you had a reasonable amount of time to address that golf ball, you have 10 seconds to make that stroke. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think just the, the way the, the audio of the rules official, he just didn't explain it very well. I have no issues with the rule. I'm not going to stand here for five minutes and see if a golf ball is oscillating and wait for the wind to blow it in. Or, And I mean, I Kucher says, yes, he was adamant the ball was moving, but I'm sorry, a ball doesn't move for one minute when it's hanging on the lip. So, Agreed. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a physics major, but it's not moving constantly for a whole minute. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, on the, con- on the contrary... Say you hit a ball that say you hit it, say you hit the, you know, not a putt, say you hit a, an iron shot into the green, it's spun off to the front of the green and it's trickle, 
trickle, trickle, trickle off the front of the green and continues to roll. And you've had time to walk from your second shot up to the green and your ball is still hitting and just slowly rolling and rolling and rolling. You cannot hit that ball until that ball is comes to rest. And if you think it's moving, you have to wait until you feel like it has stopped moving. So to, to this point, again, the difference, the difference with this whole scenario is the fact that the ball rolled into the cup and finalized the hole. That's the difference. If it had been anywhere else through the green and the ball was still moving, there's no rule in place that says you have to hit a shot within 10 seconds, which I think is a little bit of a gray area because they've, they've got this rule strictly for a ball on a green, which in re, by the rules of golf, it's through the green, right? So they've got this extra rule uh, here to d- differentiate, you know, whether you're in the fairway or whether you're in, the, you know, in the rough or on the edge of the green or what have you. Um, so, that's where it gets a little cloudy. It's like, why can you say that he only has 10 seconds, 10, 10 seconds to hit the next putt or the next shot when you don't have, there's no, no they're not ten, saying he only has 10 seconds to hit the next shot. You can only stand there and watch the golf ball. But for 10 if, seconds. if the ball is still moving, when does that clock start? So if, if I walk up and I'm getting ready to hit it, I'm like, Oh, it just moved a little bit. Okay. So, Again, to your point, Mike, you're like, no ball continues to move for 55 seconds. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it moves once every every 10 seconds for, you know, five times for 55 seconds. I mean, it's rare. Yes, it's I just rare. Don't, but, I just don't see it, a, a it, golf ball is not going to – we're talking a, a fraction of a fraction. Yeah. I mean, again – It's not going to take a minute to do that. Maybe. I mean, it's not, it's not, I, I understand where you're, I understand where you're going. It, it, could it happen? Yes, it could happen. So who's to say that? No, it didn't do that. Is my point. Like you can't, yeah, penalize, but we can't, you can't penalize, not- you can't penalize a guy for something that you are not absolutely sure of. It's like, it's like penalize a guy when he's like, man, I can't tell if my ball moved. Yeah, but you got to have think a it may have moved. Point. I'm not sure. And he's like, well, I was like, I'm not taking a penalty if I'm not hundred percent sure that this ball moved. And it's the same thing for the, for the contrary. You know, I, I understand where you're you got to have, this. you got to have a rule at some point. We can't sit here and, and, and you know, circumcise a mosquito. Yeah, I, you can't exactly. But if you don't know for sure, I'm not going to sit there and, and obviously the ball didn't, it did roll back in the hole. So it, it obviously was still moving. So who's, yeah, to but you can't it, say it was moving the whole time. I can't, but I can't say that it wasn't moving every every five seconds, you know, or every ten seconds. It obviously was moving because it fell into the cup. So who's to say that it it wasn't? So I, again, to to set a to set a rule that says in place, yep, that was too long. But I, I'm like, hey, I'm looking at the ball. I can see it teetering. I'm not going to putt it because that's a, that's a penalty. If it's a putt a moving ball, I can't hit a moving. Well, ball. if you have again, so, I know I know you, people roll their eyes at that. Hang on, you you set the rules in place. If the USGA okay. PGA Tour they set these rules, you got to go by them. If you're going to set these really specific uh, rules, then hey, the, the players are going to follow the rules. And if they think the ball's moving, don't hit a moving ball. I see the ball moving. It's moving. It's it. It took seven seconds to move that time. It took eight seconds. Okay, it keeps moving. It keeps moving. It keeps moving. Who's to say that it wasn't doing that? If there's not a rules official there saying the ball has stopped for eleven seconds, 
you need to putt, you know? Yeah, but you can't Jay, say that for five would minutes you and agree? Say, still moving. Hold on, Mike. Jay, would you Why agree not? that if your playing partners deem that the ball is still moving because it's like anything else, when you're making a ruling within your group, you go to your playing partners, correct? If you're looking to fix a ball mark, you're looking to fix a spike mark, whatever it is, you go to your playing partners and you say, hey, guys, is this a ball mark? Can I? Are we good? I'm fixing this. Mm-hmm. If you're going up and that's that scenario and you look at your playing partners and your playing partners agree, say, hold on, Jay, that ball looks like it's still teetering. I don't yeah. think you should putt that. To me, that should be the overrule to that scenario. I understand that there's a 10-second rule. I don't necessarily agree with the fact that that's what it is. In this scenario, I understand why it was enforced after the fact. I feel like it wasn't explained exactly, maybe maybe the best, best that it could be. But long story short, I feel like at the no, end This of has the been day, a long story. You have, Mike, eat a dick. <laughs> I feel like if you have. This is a short story long. It's the opposite. If you have, <laughs> to make this short story long, you're playing I'm partners. No, 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 look, look, look. I'll wrap it up quickly. If your playing partners are saying, Hey, just as Matt Kuchar did, Hey, Siwoo, don't put that yet. That looks like it's still moving. That all of a sudden takes that 10 second penalty totally out of the equation, takes it totally out of the equation entirely to me because you have your playing partners as you would fixing a ball mark, a spike mark, taking relief, anything like that, agreeing with what you're doing and that it's within the sport of the game or within the rules of the game. And that's where I think that should lie. Yeah, but how many times have we seen this happen? And it just this is the first this is the first time it's now an issue. I don't get that. It shouldn't be an issue. It should be within the group. If it happens, your ball falls in and everyone in the group goes, yeah, that's either a three or a fucking four and you move on. Yeah, but every other every other time it's happened, it's been, oh, well, that's been too long. Put it back. You know, you take a four or whatever the score is. Yeah, I mean, there was there was not a unanimous. There was not a unanimous decision within the group saying all three playing uh, playing uh, or competitors all said the ball was still moving. Normally you have a playing partner says, Hey, the ball stopped and it was there for 30 seconds. It was obvious and it fell in. Then you, you, there's some, someone there to contradict the way that the, the things played out, but you've got Matt Kuchar there and the other play who was the other playing partner there with them, with them. It was just twosome. Uh, I don't but know either way, either way, they, they all said the ball's still moving. You've got three people there saying the ball's still moving. It's still rolling. It's still rolling. It's still rolling. What is the player supposed to do? And and then why exactly. would he be penalized for that? So again, I think exactly. this. I think this is a perfect example of how <laughs> how the rule how the rules get misconstrued and and someone takes. Um, it's it's an it's an ego thing like oh, oh this is this is an attack on the rules i'm going to set everything straight i'm going to put everyone in their place like like the grain of sand that abram answer hit on the on his backswing in the bunker that didn't affect his you know bunker shot at all in whatsoever and there was a hd camera that was under there that showed the teeniest grain of sand float away and he's he's you know penalized however many strokes it's like, that that's ridiculous well that's I don't because that, golf golf's trying to take judgment calls out right every other sport their judgment calls they're live officials making a call in real time mm-hmm. at at split second decisions but golf doesn't have that so they have to take out every single litty 
it'll be judgment call they can. Well, no, they they don't have to. They could just say, hey, didn't happen in, in, in real time. Player didn't feel it. We didn't see it. It's his responsibility to call it. He didn't call it. Hey, sorry, he got away with it. Just yeah, like, but when, just like touching a ball as it goes out of bounds in the NBA, the the, the NBA player he's going, oh no, it's going the other way. It's going the other way. I didn't touch it. And then you go to the tape and you see that he touched it. What happens? Nothing. <laughs> they just go on. It's just, it's no different. They're they're trying to be so honorable that they they're they're taking away from the sport. Like the honor is the fact that the player feels that they've got an advantage. And, so and how do you want them to how do you want them to write the rule then? So if you touch sand in a bunker, it's a penalty. How do you want them to write that rule? It shouldn't be if they touch sand in the bunker. This should be if they improve their lie. Did this help you in any way, shape, or form? And I don't think him. I mean, you could you could take your club away and just the the wind can graze a grain of sand. And the, the sand can fall. Like, again, with HD camera, you look down, you're like, oh, I think I see I, I a get, grain of sand. I get what you're saying, Jay. I get what you're saying. Yeah. But you look at, look, let's look at the NFL, right? So they have a rule book, and it says what holding is. Holding happens on every play, but it's the judgment of the official in that time to call it or not. We don't have that luxury in golf, so they just go by what the letter of the law is in the book. If they went by the letter of the law in the book in every sport, it would be a shit show, but we don't have that luxury because it is not an official there. So they just see something in fraction and they call it. No, they do have that luxury. They don't have to call it because again, the whole point of golf is the rules of golf is the player can call that on himself or a playing partner can call it on another, not an HD camera. That's and, I, that's and I'm with you. On, I, I'm with you on that stuff, but I, I'm just trying yeah. to defend them. I'm with you more than no, them. And, I'm just and, trying to defend them on where they're coming from. They're and, trying to. And I don't think they should be defended. I don't think they. I don't think they should be defended in any way. I think that that that's one of the. I think that's one of the fallacies that we have with professional golf and 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 the rules and 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 penalizing players. Again, it's about if you're doing something deceitful and gaining an advantage on a player, then that's one thing. Like, but again, uh, something like that. I don't think that there was, I don't think there was any deceit there. I don't think there's any intent to gain an advantage. And I think that's where we can have these judgment calls, you know, and I think that's where we can chime in and be like, you know, it's pretty obvious that this was like a Patrick Reed pushing his, his, uh, his club down in a, in a waste bunker and sweeping away sand. Like you definitely gained an advantage there. You moved a big mound of sand behind your ball. Now you have a clearer path to the ball. Uh, that's 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 pretty obvious. And again, that's where those judgment calls come into play, where um, I think a rules official can come in and be like, hey, I'm making a judgment call. Then maybe there should be one one rules official that follows the cameras and says, you know what? Hey, I see this. I want to let everyone know I saw this sand move. There was no advantage gained here. I'm making a judgment call um, and we're going to let it go. Um, and let that be that. And let that be that. You know, thanks for calling in. But I don't think there's any penalty here. I don't think there's any advantage gained here. Um, we're going to let it go, um, and I, you know, that's maybe that's something that they that they change. I, I think that would be great if they did that because I, again, the whole point is is whether or not they gain an advantage. Um, and unfortunately, Patrick Reed is the butt end of this joke a lot because he has done this quite a few times and he has gained an advantage. And I think that's why you see. Uh, the outcry that you've that you that we've received from from the fellow players are like you know man yeah yeah he's done this a couple times and 
they, they get fed up with it because they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm over here trying to play by the rules and at the expense of maybe getting disqualified or getting, you know, two shot penalty. And here's this guy over here just sweeping sand away in a, in a waste bunker. So. All right. Do we have any listeners left? Anyone? If not, they should be listening because that was a good segment right there. That All was, right. That was. I do, have, I do have a custom fitting note. If anyone wants to hear it for the night, if we want to do a quick, quick custom fitting segment for the evening, you got thirty seconds. Go. If anyone goes to get custom fit and someone puts you on a lie board, run. The only <laughs> way to get custom fit for your lie angle is off the turf. You need to look at turf interaction. If you're over the top and flat, it's going to show up right every time. Don't hit off plastic and consider your lie angle to be correctly custom fit. You need to hit off the turf, look at turf interaction, look at ball flight, look at track bang numbers, and make your decision there. Thank you. 35 custom seconds. Fitting corner. CFC. Thank 35 you. seconds. Not bad. That was Thank damn you. good, too, for the record. Like that. All right. Is that so 30-second custom fitting corner? I think I'm going to put a 30-second time stop on all of you guys from now on. And then time for some strains. Can we get time for don't, some strains needs more? Don't needs don't more hate. Don't hate. Footage. Don't hate. I'm not hating. It's just the facts of the I listeners. Mean, I've never I've never beat Fina. I can't I can't I don't have the clout to talk for that. All long. right. Do we have a time for some strange? Tom, no. we haven't heard from you in like a half hour. Come on. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm letting you guys rock and roll. You're you're uh you're on a tangent. Um <laughs> so it's all good. All right, boys. So, well, I guess if we have any listeners left after all of our rants, um, thank you for tuning in. We're not going to talk much about the Zero Classic. It's a two-man event. It's odd. It's weird. Um, we'll discuss a little bit of it next week, but we're not going to do any picks. So thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, share. Um, we appreciate you uh, listening and tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye.